Listener Production. I'm automotive commentator and journalist Greg Rust, and this is Rusty's Garage. For this episode, I'm in Bathurst. My jaw dropped when I learned that one of the all-time greats of touring car racing, a bona fide legend in Gabriele Tarquini, was in Australia for the recent TCR World Tour. We had to speak to him, right? If you followed the British Touring Car Championship in the 1990s, you will remember Murray Walker commentating on his drives in an Alfa Romeo on the way to the title at a time when there were 10 different manufacturers and some great names, some amazing drivers on the grid. It really was a golden period for that two-litre super touring era and some very cool cars. He also drove for other manufacturers, stints with Honda, Sayat and more. The European touring car title is on his CV and he proved that age was no barrier by winning the touring car world championship in his late 40s and a world cup in his mid 50s. He's now retired from driving but still involved as a team manager for the Hyundai N Squadra Corsa outfit. We'll talk about that, what he thinks of our Aussie drivers and reflect on what must have been a frustrating period for him in Formula One driving for mainly minnow outfits like Ocella, Coloni, AGS and others. It was a seriously difficult mission to even pre-qualify. He was test driver for Tyrrell in 1995 and called up to race for the injured Ukiyo Katayama at the European round when Gabrielli was the reigning BTCC champ. Two diametrically different forms of motorsport. That's a very unusual scenario that we are unlikely to ever see again. Touring car champion being called in to race Formula One. Gabrielli didn't feel GP match fit, so that final F1 race isn't a great memory for him. You can't help but feel that he never quite had the machinery to complement his talent and determination, what we saw of him in touring cars. Tarquini also broke the great Juan Manuel Fangio's record as the oldest world champion in an official FIA series when, at almost 48, he claimed that touring car world title. Plus, what it was like to drive those technically impressive, those awesome DTM machines. Meeting Ayrton Senna and sitting down for a conversation with one of the most powerful men in the history of motorsport. I'd not heard that before. We begin this engaging conversation by talking about Bathurst. I was staggered to learn that this is Gabrielli's first time here. Gabrielli, welcome. It's fantastic to have you here. This is your first time to Bathurst. Amazing. What are your first impressions? Yeah, it's amazing, but uh, especially thinking uh, that I had some opportunity to drive uh, 20 or 25 years ago on this track and uh, I always had some trouble with the clashes or whatever and I never joined you on this track. It's my first time. I uh, drove uh, a road car uh, in in this fantastic track and uh, I regret to not drive (laughs) (laughs) at the right time with a with a racing car here. So that would have been a V8 supercar back in the day that you had the, the chance to, to do that. Um, at least you have had a chance in a road car. What, what did you think of it? I mean, it, it's, um, 
I think when you see it for real, it's it's very different to the television, isn't it? Yeah, I I, fo- I had followed some races uh, in on television, but uh, as usual, television don't give you the reality. In reality, this track is uh, completely different from a normal track. It's something. Uh, close to the small uh, Norse life, I think, because uh, you have this um, mid-sector, uh, very uh, technique, change of direction, uh, very fast corner, uh, no no rooms around the corner, so no possibility of uh, mistakes, uh, wall very close, uh, and uh, the first sector and the third sector very fast. So that's uh, give you also a mixed feeling and I think it's uh, very close to, to uh, Nosh life. Okay. You are a long way from home, 16,000 k's in fact. It's Julianova that you come yeah. from, isn't it? And you, you still live there now. For Australians that may not be familiar with that, correct me if I'm, I don't have this right, it's on the east coast and probably, what, 250 kilometres south maybe of Mizano, somewhere there? Yeah, yeah. yeah, you're right. It's um, on the Adriatic Sea. East of uh, Italy, uh, on the um, on the sea, practically on the sea, same height of uh, Rome, but on the opposite side. Okay. And you started cutting at about age five, didn't you? And your your brother had an interest in it, and so on. Did your dad hire a go kart track somewhere? Yeah. Yeah. He, my, my my dad uh, had this opportunity to rent a, a fuel station with a, on the back uh, a go kart track. I was uh, five, five years old. Uh, my older brother was uh, 10. He started karting before me, but my dream was to drive these uh, small uh, <laughs> machines. And I spent all the, the time after school to, uh, into this uh, go-kart truck, uh, just uh, working and driving. Did, did it uh, become an obsession for you? You fell in love with it and it's all that you, you wanted to do. And did the driving come easily? We see you as such a complete driver now that has had some incredible success. Did the speed come easily? Yeah, I mean, uh, I was uh, starting uh, very young because you must start very young. <laughs> and I had this opportunity out of the school. We, in Italy, we have uh, three months break on summertime and I spent full time on driving and uh, that was a fantastic opportunity. My, uh, all my word was uh, go-kart. I, I never think about uh, a car or motorsport. For me, karting, it was my, my dream to be, uh, to be fast on karting. Yep. What about heroes, people that um, perhaps you looked up to? You, you did meet a young Etten Senna, didn't you? Yeah, I met uh, Arton Senna when I was uh, in karting in, in Italy because uh, he came, he, he was uh, born on 60, 1960, I'm uh, from 1962, more or less same age. He came in Italy because at this time, but also now, uh, Italy is the, 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 I mean, the best place for karting. Yeah. And Ayrton comes to, to do uh, go-kart there, and I met him in the in, in international San Marino race for the first time, if I'm not wrong, was 1977. And I, I, I watch, uh, I mean, uh, his, uh, his uh, driving style, special driving style, so 
Yeah, we, I spoke just a few words with him, but he remembered very well because after I met him in for my Formula One time. We have seen you as a, as a driver. Um, was there any other work that you did? Did you do part-time work or do, have you only ever been a racer? No, only be a racer. <laughs> yeah, because, uh, I mean, uh, in my career, I mean, I did a lot of... Uh, categories I did Formula One I did uh, especially Saloon Car a lot of time a lot of years in Saloon Car I but I, I was a quite unique career because it was so long mm. uh, I won the world title on uh, 2018 last time with Hyundai and uh, I was uh, I mean in an age uh, normally um, other driver with the same age retired uh, 10 or 15 years uh, before yeah. that's very strange probably because my interest in was only racing right. I mean yeah. I don't have any business around I never open a uh, an hotel or a restaurant <laughs> or a bar so I'm only focused on motorsport you talked about um, karting before and, and your obsession with it and not necessarily wanting to go to go car racing am I right in saying that a friend gave you an opportunity to drive a maybe a Formula 3 car and you initially didn't want to do it but you, you had a few laps at the end of the afternoon and it changed everything didn't it that's really true uh, I was uh, not interested on, on car. I mean, uh, my word was karting. Uh, I was uh, winning Italian championship. I was very good on karting. Uh, and I made a big step forward to be a professional uh, go-kart uh, racing, uh, go-kart driver. That at this time was uh, really unusual. And uh, when a friend of mine started, uh, he was older than me, and he went to test in Misano a Formula 3 car, a very old Formula 3 car. It was uh, a Chevron from uh, 1976, something like this. Mm -hmm. And he offered to me the possibility to drive this car. And my first answer was, no, it's an old car, and karting is much faster than this uh, old car, so I, I'm not interested. After I, I won the world title and I won the European title, and he, he, he insists to me, he say, but you must try once. I mean, uh, tr come and try. <laughs> and finally, I got just uh, probably 20 minutes in the end of the day to jump on this car. Uh, I, he gave me everything, the overall, the helmet, <laughs> everything, because I, I never jump on, uh, on a racing car. And that's, that's this point, uh, my mind changed because I sit on the car, I was driving this car and say, yeah, I can enjoy. It's fantastic to drive a racing car. It's, uh, I mean, uh, the karting is not the only motorsport. <laughs> and uh, yeah, something switched on my head and uh, I went to the Italian uh, Federation School just to, to, to have the license to race, but without any money, nothing but just to get the license. Mm. That um, leads me to the fact that, I mean, you, had a, you were from a very humble family. It, it wasn't like there was a money on tap for you to go and do this. How did you stitch that next part of things together in a, in a career sense? It was the, the Italian school. I mean, mm. the Italian Federation School uh, was uh, helping me because I won uh, the, the, the driver of the year. Yeah. But nobody known me, know me because I, I, I never raced in, in car. I was just a world uh, championship in karting. 
And they helped me, especially in the beginning. I had a big push, a big boost. And uh, in 85, after three races in Formula 3, I jumped in a Formula 3000. It was a Formula 2 cars, a new category starting. And uh, my first race, I finished fifth. Second race, I uh, start on, on the first row and I finished fifth. And the uh, third race, I was into the podium. But I, I was the surprise of the year that, uh, I mean, on my, after the, these third, three races in, let me say, professional category, Enzo Ferrari want to know me. And he, he asked for me, he sent uh, Marco Piccinini, the, the, the race director of Ferrari, <laughs> Say, yeah, the the Drake want to want to meet you. Did so, you meet him? Yeah. <laughs> what was that like? What are your memories of that? Yeah, it's an unbelievable memory because I started in the beginning of '85 to be, let me say, a, a racing drivers, mm-hmm. and in May I met, uh, I mean, Enzo Ferrari. That uh, huge. Yeah, it was uh, 1985. It was an Enzo Ferrari old but uh, I mean very clever it was completely on his uh, conscious he was uh, asking me a lot of things uh, he prepared the meeting that surprised me because he know everything about me in a, in an era where there was no internet uh, and he know my parents name the city of uh, I was born some other uh, I, 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 he shocked me Wow, really and, well researched. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and after probably 10 years, I had the, no, uh, a chance to speak with uh, his um, media delegate and he told me that uh, that was normal meeting for Enzo Ferrari. He wanted to shock the, 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 person. the person to meet and yeah. uh, he prepared the meeting. He had uh, some jour- local journalists to, to have info from you. But at this time, it was very difficult, and it, it really shocked me. I was, I mean, a young driver just uh, <laughs> to meet uh, Enzo Ferrari, asking uh, parents' name. Uh, it, it shocked me totally. I was shocked. Amazing. There were lots of Italians racing then, weren't there? I mean, for, uh, I mean, you had a great friendship with um, with Nicola Larini. I mean, there were, um, you know, to get. A column space to get sponsorship and things with with more than a dozen Italians trying, you know, Formula One or close to Formula One must have been tough. It was very tough because we was uh, 10, 10 Italian drivers at this time. There was pre-qualifying because uh, 40 cars won't enter in Formula One, but only 26 put, uh, yeah, uh, enter, yeah. So it was very hard. I miss a lot of pre-qualifying, so sometimes uh, your weekend finish uh, on Friday morning at nine o'clock. It was, uh, I mean, something very, very hard. And uh, for this reason, I think that in my mind, uh, when they offer me to, to, to race in Saloon car with a, prof- with a good car, yeah. performance car, I, I did uh, Formula One and Salon Car at the same time. Right, so, I, know, yeah. I know. You have that unique record of being a British Touring Car champion and even racing for, for Tyrrell in, in the same year. Can we come back to the, the, the first time in, in Formula One? Because this is toward the end of the turbo era, wasn't it? Uh, what were your first impressions? And I know some of these teams that you were with were, um, you know, maybe underfunded or older cars and so on but still a great chance to experience that chapter of the sport. Yeah, my, my first race in uh, 1987 was paid by Italian Federation as well. 
with a you know a very old Osella, but I was there. It mm. was my dream, <laughs> and I can start because at this time uh, Nelson Piquet had a big accident in the Tamburello, the same uh, yes. place of uh, Senna accident, and uh, the doctor stopped him for for the race. I was the last one, the 27. But for this accident, I can join the green. They started uh, my first uh, ever Grand Prix, Great, yeah. and it was I mean uh, a dream, dream come true because. Um, in Italy. Uh, in Italy. Yeah. But uh, I, I can tell you, uh, this car, Dosella, I had a very old gearbox. Mm. And um, she, my chief mechanic, just before the start, say, if you want to do some laps, please start very, very slow. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Gentle. <laughs> can you imagine? <laughs> I mean, my, my feeling. But, um, I mean, I, I was there. I... I, I lost the fourth, if I'm not wrong, after I lost the second, but I want to finish my Grand Prix. But in the end, Osella stopped me because there was no radio at this time, just panel and say, come in, come in. I come in, came in and say, you are too slow to continue. Yeah. And that's, uh, I mean, something uh, that I never forget. Yes. I always hate uh, Osella <laughs> for this because he stopped uh, my dream to finish the Grand Prix. Enzo Osella, I think, did apologize to you years later about that car, I think, didn't he? Yeah, because, I mean, um, he, he understand my feeling. And uh, I spoke 10 years later and said, hey, I... I, I I mean, uh, my my dream was to finish my first race, uh, even last, but just to say I am finished the uh, Grand Prix. Among the lineup of world-class drivers, when Gabrielli Tarquini competed in the BTCC was John Cleland. The two-time champion had a fierce rivalry with Steve Sopar. But what isn't widely known is that they almost ended up teammates. At the beginning of that 92 season, Vic Lee, the owner of the team, had asked me to drive the BMW that Harvey ultimately ended up in. Now, not many people know that. Wow. But Vic had spent the winter trying to get me to drive it. The reason I didn't was that at the time, Steve was the BMW man in Germany. He was racing DTM. Was I gonna get fair treatment over Steve? or would I be the second fiddle? And I took the decision that I would play second fiddle to Steve. So I didn't take the drive. So the irony of it all is that car should have been mine anyway. You can find the likable Scotsman talking about that famous championship deciding crash in 92 in detail in his episode of Rusty's Garage. Plus some fond memories of racing at Bathurst with Brock, Brad Jones and more. Now back to Gabriele Tarquini. I wish I could say his name like Murray Walker did. Was the paint scheme that you ran on your helmet back then and even throughout your touring car career, was it, was it similar? Did it have a meaning? Was there a meaning to the paint scheme? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, when I was a boy, I love uh, Spider-Man and I put my... The net. Spider web, okay. Yeah. okay. The net of the spider <laughs> on my helmet and with the Italian flag. So that's the, I, I never changed the helmet. I mean, some small things, but uh, 
the, the helmet since I was racing in karting with the same engine, uh, the same um, uh, helmet and the same painting, and I finished my career with the same one. Amazing. Before we get to touring cars, when you look back at the Formula One chapter, I mean, there's a point in Mexico, you ran in the top five, I think, at Monaco at one stage. There might have been some electrical problems there. There were teams, as we said before, that had their, their struggles. I feel like you never properly had the right car in Formula One to show your talent. How do you kind of look back on it now? I had uh, two cha- one chance. I mean, uh, the beginning of uh, 89, mm-hmm. when I jumped in the old AGS, because it was the 88 car, but it was a fantastic car, mm-hmm. very good. Probably the most competitive car I never drove. And uh, yeah, I mean, I stopped in Monaco. I can finish uh, third or fourth. That, that's, I mean, position can change a little bit my career. But the only regret I have, I stayed too long with IGS. Okay. I understand immediately that the, the team was very small, uh, no found, no sponsors, but uh, I stayed too long. Okay. You have IGS, especially because they took me, they chose me when I was without car, because uh, my first racing car disappeared before the, 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 the start of the season, season. on 89. Uh, so I was without car. And after the, the incident, big incident of Philip Strife in um, yes. Rio, I can jump on this car. And I, I mean, I had some good offer from Lotus at this time, from Scuderia Italia. And I stayed too long with AGS and they probably this cost me uh, my, my career in Formula One. But you had an, an unbelievable career in, in touring cars and you sort of started that during this period. As we come to that dis- part of the discussion, there's a great quote that I read about you. Correct me if this is not, um, if I haven't memorised it right, but I think you said something like, Formula One is a great car to drive, but a touring car is the best thing to race. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, it's uh, perfect, my... My feeling. I mean, uh, Formula One, all the Formula are, uh, I mean, the best car to drive because it's the f- very fast on cornering, the downforce, you can feel the downforce, the, it's the, the, the fastest car and yeah. you, you love this. But fighting with the Formula One, with the Formula in general, is not fantastic. Mm. I mean, touring car is something very different, especially at this time. I mean, now you have the steward, the <laughs> penalty. But this time it was uh, much more wild. I mean, uh, and the, the, the way to, to, to fight with the others, with the opponent, is like a, a sort of a boxing. I mean, mm. a psychological boxing. You can touch, you can enter, you can... And that's, uh, that's uh, I love a lot. Since the first race, I love the, this kind of approach. And it opened um, a bit more opportunity for, for life for you. In a, in, it was a bit more lucrative than some of the Formula One drives and so on, wasn't it? So. Yeah, I mean, uh, my first approach was just to, to, to get a chance to be competitive because, uh, I mean, in Formula One, I felt, except two or three races, I felt very, very bad result I was far away I mean my pace normally was uh, at this time the McLaren uh, McLaren Honda was the fastest car and I was between four and five seconds per lap slower Mm. and uh, if I'm very good they lapped me two or three times so your feeling is not fantastic and uh, in touring car I jump on a very good car since the the beginning my Alpha after the BMW I was fighting for the the win Mm. and that's remember me the go-kart time I mean I can fight for uh, winning races 
And so for this, for this reason, I, I focus more and more on touring car. The the period that people listening to the podcast will remember fondly, of course, is the British Touring Car Championship there. Alfa Romeo, um, the sport was in a golden period. Gabrielli, I mean, I mean, uh, drivers like uh, Joe Winklehock, Paul Radisic, Roberto Ravaglia, Steve Soper. You were there in the Alfa Romeo, 10 different manufacturers. That super touring era was amazing, wasn't it? It was amazing because uh, this time our manufacturers spent a lot of time to be there. There was, I mean, the, the epic fight uh, was between BMW and uh, Alfa Romeo. I mean, if I can imagine, I, I drove just uh, two seasons for a BMW but uh, I feel much more Alfa Romeo driver <laughs> because it's Italian brand. I spent more than 10 years with them. I won the European uh, title on 2003. Um, I won the BTCC 94. That for me is uh, like a world title. I mean, this time in, in, in British was uh, the top of the touring car. Uh, there was 10 manufacturers, different manufacturers, uh, three uh, tires manufacturers. Uh, I mean, the budget was... Uh, unlimited uh, that's 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 race i mean uh, it, it was fantastic uh, era in in touring car you have since then driven for lots of different manufacturers and i'm sure you've got good memories of of all of them what was that 155 like to drive what what, what memories does that evoke for you even now it's my uh, the first car i develop because i i start with this car that was uh, in Italian, we, 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 we call this uh, furgone because in the beginning was was not a competitive car. Furgone, it means a small truck. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just to, but, uh, I mean, the first season in 93, it was not a fantastic car, but uh, later on it became a winning car. In 94, it was, I mean, I drove very good, but uh, I was on the proper car, a very competitive car with a very good engineer, with a very good uh, mechanics. I, I had everything to win. I mean, it was not uh, only driving. And you must share this uh, every time. I mean, you must know uh, what's your potential and also the potential of the, the people around you. Mm-hmm. And I had everything to win on 94. Um, but uh, I, I feel this from the beginning that uh, the potential of the Alfa Romeo was huge because uh, they, they want to win. At, at the same time, they run the DTM. Uh, Larini won on t- 93, beating the Mercedes and uh, uh, the Vectra in, in the Opel Vectra in, in DTM, winning uh, North Life. So uh, at this time, Alfa Romeo was, was unbelievable. Uh, the budget probably was uh, like a Formula One uh, team budget. <laughs> it was a clever uh, design and, and the sport sort of took a step then aerodynamically. I mean, a lot of the rivals um, uh, looked at the car at that stage. Um, can you remember how, how satisfying it was to win against those drivers and, and with that car in that, uh, in that period? In your career at that point when you'd had those struggles in Formula One, that must have been immensely rewarding. Yeah, it was like this. I mean, uh, it was a rewarding. A, it was a personal revenge mm-hmm. into the motorsport because uh, uh, in touring car, uh, I was one of the, the top there at this, uh, this uh, era. And I can uh, I can win races, I can win championship, uh, I can fight with the best touring car uh, uh, driver in the world. Because at this time in in England there was uh, you you told uh, names, uh, but it was unbelievable. Who was the fiercest rival? 
Radisic at this time was uh, <laughs> and John Cleland. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, the two uh, hardest opponent was was these two. You also had to learn some of the smaller British circuits, didn't you? I mean, we immediately think of Silverstone and the famous place Brands Hatch and so on, but you had to learn little places. And there was a famous rollover at Knock Hill, which everyone remembers. Don't they? And I, was the boss of Fiat there, I think, too, at the time? <laughs> sitting, <laughs> sitting and watch, watching at this corner. Yeah, I mean... Uh, I was thinking I, I knew some track uh, in Formula One. For me, I, I knew uh, Donington and uh, Silverstone. That's it. But when we prepared uh, in pre season test, uh, we, we went there. Weather was not fantastic. But this small track like Snetterton or Ulton Park, uh, uh, Knock Hill, I never been there. So for me, it was, uh, I mean, even in Italy, the smaller track was not as small as in, in England. It was really old style track, but very small. And uh, you must fight with the people uh, knows uh, very, very well this track. It's like uh, if people uh, join you in, uh, in battles, I mean, the locals are uh, stronger than you immediately. And the fact that I, I was from the beginning uh, uh, on the pace, it's, it means that I, I had a very good car and uh, also uh, my driving was, was not bad. <laughs> That's the end of part one of my podcast with legendary touring car racer Gabriele Tarquini. We have barely shifted into second gear in this feature chat. There's lots of great stuff to come and it's all parked in the garage library and ready for you to enjoy whenever you're ready. From winning the world title at a time when most are retired from frontline sport. How difficult it was to eventually stop and what he's doing now. Lending his incredible bank of knowledge from years and countless laps perfecting race cars and how it helps the next generation. Oh, oh, off! It's Tarquini! Gabriele Tarquini in the Alfa Romeo. Thank heavens he's safe out of the car, rushing to safety. It's a very dazed and battered Gabriele leaning against the barrier. 